good to be with you this morning and uh, have enjoyed my time seeing a lot of uh, old friends and making some new ones even this morning. And uh, so it's a privilege for me to be with you all. And uh, we are going to talk about prayer just prior to that. Just I think last week, Pastor Pat may have mentioned a little bit about the Iowa State football score. And uh, <laughs> there's reasons he did that, I'm sure. And, uh, but you know, yesterday, both Iowa and Iowa State both won convincingly yesterday. And I think we should celebrate that because this might be the only Sunday we can do that for the rest of the year. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> this morning we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles and want to open there, we'll, we'll start to, to work our way through that. And uh, the message is actually going to be called the fullness of, of being filled with the fullness of God, and it's based on a prayer. And I just want to say a few things here to sort of set the table as we look at this passage of Scripture. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, in his third missionary journey, arrived at Ephesus to preach and to carry the gospel. And uh, when, he ran, when he got there, he, uh, he ran into some disciples, if you read in Acts chapter 19, and uh, Paul asked them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And the disciples said, we've not even heard of what is the Holy Spirit. They were not informed at all. And so I think when you come to this epistle, this place, the Apostle Paul wants to make very clear the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the area of prayer. And that's what we would like to look at this morning. And I would say this, as, as we, boy, I hate entering the political season in some ways, and I think many of you may feel similarly, but I think most of us understand that it doesn't look like our country is headed in a very positive direction as far as biblical uh, things that we would like to see. And we sort of know that that is going to be just because the scriptures warn us that in the latter days many will depart from the faith. We know that there's going to be very difficult times that are going to start to come. And I think we can all see that on the horizon. And I think, well then how, how could we have a vibrant church during this time? And I think when you look back at the book of Acts and the, the passages that we can study, we would agree that church, although with problems, those churches in Acts, many of them were very vibrant. And I think there are things we want to copy about those churches. Now, again, they weren't perfect churches, but they were filled with life. And I think our churches, I don't care what the size of your church is. It can be big or small. Spiritual life is another thing altogether. And spiritual life comes through fervent prayer practices by the people that attend that church. And I think sometimes when we look at where we're at, problems are one, is prayer what it needs to be within our lives now? But not only that, are we praying prayers after the pattern of Scripture, 
That's really what we have to ask because there's so much to learn from the Word of God. And as we look at this passage today, it's very interesting because Paul, again, he ran into these disciples at about 55, 56 AD. A church was started. He stayed in that city for two full years. No church was honored to have the presence of the Apostle Paul more than the church at Ephesus. And all of Asia heard the word of God through that church, that center. God did a great work there. Now, at the setting of this letter, Paul is in a Roman prison about six years after the start of the church. And he's sitting there in prison, house arrest. He's writing this letter right here that we have before us. Now, what's interesting is when you get to chapter 3, and we're going to read that just in a little bit. When you get to chapter 3 and verse 14, you begin to see that this is a prayer. And it's so interesting to me because I don't know if the Apostle Paul just stopped right there and put his quill down in the parchment and began to pray. I don't know what happened, but as you read this, you almost sense there's prayer that is taking place while he's writing scripture. That's interesting to me. But he prays a prayer that we need to at least study and understand what was he praying for out of that prison for the church at Ephesus. Because if we can learn how he prayed, maybe it can help us in our prayer so that we would have vibrant churches that are following Christ, and we desire that. So we're going to start out just talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit, if we could. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have a few verses. Now notice the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful verse to understand how people are saved. There's three phases there. First, you hear the word of truth, the gospel. Christ died for your sins, paid the whole price for your sins, and rose again from the dead. And then the hearer hears the news and he has a decision to make. Will I place my confidence in that sacrifice for my salvation or not? If he does, according to this verse, when he believes you're sealed or marked with the Holy Spirit, the very point that you believe the Spirit of God comes into your life, you are sealed and marked as one of God's own. That's a blessed truth. And even more, look at Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's so encouraging about that is when you're sealed and believe, you're marked until the day of your salvation. He never leaves. You are sealed in that salvation forever. I rejoice in that truth. But Paul, again, teaching this church about the Holy Spirit. Then there's something else that he teaches in Ephesians chapter 5 about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Notice, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit and sealed are two different things. Being filled, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go through this passage today. But the idea is that the believer should continually be being 
filled with the Spirit of God. That's God's desire. And as Paul looks at that church, clearly his desire for that church is as well. Now, just one other thing I want to point out before we jump into the passage itself is the imperatives that are used in this book. It's noteworthy as you look at it. When you look at the construction of this book, the imperatives in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, there's one. An imperative is a command. It's how you're to live. That's how God wants you to live. But when you get to the last three chapters, it's filled with imperatives on how to live. Now, that's important for us because the Spirit of God is saying, first, I want you to understand who Christ is, how you're saved, and your new life in Christ. I want you to understand all of that doctrine and then we'll start to lay out commands. It doesn't go in the reverse order. You don't look like, I'm going to do this, now let me see if there's a Bible verse I can find. It goes No, you start out with the doctrine that teaches. And you've heard all of that. Now, this passage that we look at is right in between at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. So this prayer lands right between those two sections, okay? I just want the setting so you understand as we go through that. So with that, then we want to read just the passage, and you can follow along as I read in your own Bibles or on the screen. But remember, Paul's in a prison while he pens these words. It's, it's moving to me. Like I said, I don't know if he sent the set the quill down before he started to write and prayed and then came back to write. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. But this is how it goes. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just make one comment there. For what reason? Well, everything that he has just talked about prior to this He's talked about all sorts of things that would lead up to this. He's talked about being chosen before the foundation of the world, being predestined. He talks about redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, the sealing of the Spirit of God, being spiritually dead, now alive, raised to sit in the heavenly places. The Gentiles are included in all of that. And then as you come to the If you look just a little bit prior, then he talks about the Gentiles and him preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. What I want to say as we just look at the beginning of this, Paul is moved by the things that he has penned. He is overwhelmed. That's why he starts out. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question, as we begin this, we have to ask, are you moved by the teachings of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2? Chosen, inheritance, the filling of the Spirit, all that. Does that move you? Do you understand what's being taught there? Paul is, he can't go on writing. And and I just pray that God would begin to impress upon our lives the vitality and importance of the truths that we learn from the word of God. It's like Paul can't even go on. I remember several times when I was in Bible college, I had this one prof that I loved and he would teach and he'd have his class right before 
lunch, and he would teach, and I was a new believer, and I would listen to him. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I was overwhelmed. People would leave and go to lunch, and I'd just sit there in my chair. Then I would make it to a prayer closet for a while just to pray after I heard some of the truths. Now, I will say, I just still didn't miss lunch. I still... <laughs> But it was a moving experience. And I pray as you study the word of God, as you hear preaching, that it moves your heart. These are truths that we should so appreciate as we go through them. And Paul certainly did. So let me just read here, and we'll just finish reading it. And let me start again. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I even think about these verses. What's in Paul's mind? The whole family in heaven? He's talking about the saints above and the saints below. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? The rich, his glory is astounding enough. The riches of his glory, the limit, to be strengthened with might through his spirit. In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's a prayer, isn't it? And, and as we look at it, there's, there's several things that, that I would like to look at and uh, pay attention to. And, and part of it, even before I get to the, to the principle, I want you to understand that when he prays this prayer, it is based on all of these truths that he has just introduced in the book of Ephesians. We do need to pray. And God help us to pray the way we ought to pray and spend time praying. But the other part is is that our prayers need to be based on scriptures. You know, the unbelieving world, they pray. They pray. They'll talk to God when they get in trouble. And sometimes we as believers do the same thing. Ah, we'll talk to God when we get in trouble. But the requests are coming out of a heart that's not influenced by scripture Paul's heart is totally influenced by scripture and his prayers go up and so again questions that we have to ask ourselves when you pray are they coming out of a heart that's filled with the word of God or are they just coming out of our heart not related Let's learn from Paul. Even Daniel, when he prayed his great prayer in Daniel chapter 9, 
He prayed that after he read the book of Jeremiah, understood that the Jews were going to go back to the promised land, and he pours out his heart to God knowing that. His whole prayer is based on Scripture. So may we learn from the Apostle Paul that our prayers, being moved by truth and then praying with truth, both are so important if we really want to have God's attention And certainly the Apostle Paul did here. Now, the second principle, I don't know if I read the first one, but the second one, um, if we could go right there. The first one dealt with being um, um, influenced by the Word of God. While on his knees, Paul cried out that the inner man of the Ephesians would be strengthened by the Spirit that they may understand. Now look at your text again, because this is interesting to me. Notice what he's praying for, and we'll look at that, but he's praying they be strengthened, that Christ may dwell in the heart, and that you may be able to comprehend. Now what's interesting to me is when you study the activity of the Holy Spirit, especially in the book of Acts, you find the Holy Spirit giving power to speak boldly. That's almost always there. Peter was filled with the Spirit of God and spoke boldly. Paul was filled with the Spirit of God, spoke boldly. Stephen was filled with the Spirit of God, spoke boldly, did miracles. There's always so much action that is found there. But this is a little different. He's praying that the Spirit of God would influence, but it's so we can comprehend. Now, just look at it. Just look at it closely when you look at the verse there. Notice what it says. According to the riches of his glory, which we say, boy, that's almost limitless, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. Now, being strengthened, that is a passive verb. And the English brings it out perfectly because it's not action that's coming out of your heart. It's action that's coming to your heart. That's passive. And he's, Paul is saying the heart needs to be influenced strongly by the Spirit of God if we're going to have vibrancy in lives and in the church. It has to be strengthened. And then he goes out of the way and says, with power. He doesn't need to say that. He could have said it needs to be strengthened. That would suffice, but it didn't. Not with Paul or the Spirit of God. The word power has been introduced to you many times, dunamis, with power. So he wants it to be strengthened with power. What's the agency? Through the Spirit of God. He's praying that the Spirit of God will give power to the heart of these believers. But it's not necessarily just for action. It's going to be for two things. One, that Christ may dwell in your heart. We'll talk about that. But the other part, that you would comprehend The love of God. Now I want you to just pause and think for a bit. The Apostle Paul was saying he was one of the most intelligent people of his day. And we know that. And God selected him and used him as a voice piece to the Gentiles. But Paul was a very intelligent man. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, with only my intelligence... I cannot comprehend the love of God. Did you get that? 
The whole idea is, oh, I can read about the love of God. I know all about it. No, you can't. The only way that you can really comprehend the love of God that will impact your life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your intellect. That's what he's saying in this prayer. He doesn't want this church. And remember, Ephesians is a church. Later on in the book of Revelation, when they're talked to by Jesus himself, they were intellectual because they could identify false prophets, false teacher, and they cast them out. But what didn't they have? They lost their first love. Oh, they were intellectual. And that's the problem with churches today. We're intellectual. We think we know that, but we really don't. Because without the Spirit of God, you'll never comprehend the love of God. It's deeper than what you and I know. Paul knows that. And Paul has experienced that. He's writing out of his own experience. He's intellectual, but he's telling us, I couldn't comprehend God by my own intellect. In fact, other scriptures say, the wisdom, the, the world by its wisdom did not know God. That's what it says in Corinthians. He doesn't want that church to experience that. So he's praying for two things here. He's praying for two things. Notice, he's praying that they would be strengthened And as you look at verse 17, so that Christ, oh, I I missed one. Go back one slide because I know what I missed. The inner man strengthened by the Spirit will focus on the person of Christ. I do want us to see that. Now go ahead and go to the next one. Thank you for helping me out. Now watch this. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus because Jesus said in the Gospels, he shall testify of me. He's always pointing to Christ. Now watch this verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the first aspect. I want him to be strengthened by the Spirit of God so Christ can dwell. We know, as we talked about in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit does enter the believer at the point of belief and we're sealed until the day of redemption. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the idea of Christ dwelling in there is something stronger in this sense. D.A. Carson did a teaching on this, and I loved his illustration. He said he moved to a a town, I believe it was in uh, northwest Canada, and being a prophet, a Bible college, didn't have a great salary in a sense that he could buy a great home. They they bought a fixer-upper, and uh, as they moved in, it was just a home. It wasn't very lovely, and they had to get rid of a lot of things, clean things out, paint new, do everything. Little by little, it became a dwelling place that they loved. Because the word dwell lives there. This person dwells, he lives there. And that's the idea here. The whole idea is that Christ dwells in your hearts, impacts your hearts, done by the Spirit of God. And there may be some things we need to clean out of our lives to allow Christ to dwell the way he wants to. But as he does, it becomes visible to others. Isn't it true? Have you watched different Christians grow in their faith? And you know, the one thing they have in common is there certain aspects of Christ that seem to come out of their character? 
Oh, they never used to be generous. Look, wow, they're generous. They, they weren't, they were angry, but now, now I don't see. Their, their kindness there. Oh, and you start to see that in the lives of people. You can see it in the Bible. Look at Peter when he first became a disciple and he did things, some of the things were great. Like he said, Jesus, you are, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, you know, I'm going to give my life so that people, oh, that'll never happen to you, Lord. And then Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It was up and down, up and down with Peter, like most of us. But when you read his epistle, you see a different Peter. Submission, he talks about it. Joy, he talks about it. And all the way through his humility, it comes through. And if you look back, you'd say, oh my word, Peter looks more like Jesus now than he ever did. And he gave his life. The Spirit of God wants Christ to dwell in our hearts so that it becomes real, not just to us, but the people around us. The Apostle Paul, the very same thing. If you read John chapter 14, verse 14 through 17, Jesus' last days, it blows me away because Jesus, washing feet, teaching, encouraging, and he's facing the most horrific death possible. And I look at that, I could never do that. If I knew that was coming to me, I wouldn't be doing the things he's doing. But then you look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy and you see him teaching, encouraging, helping, even though he knew death was right around the corner. He's just about to go down, but he's still concerned about people. And you say, Paul looks a lot like Jesus. He does. So in your life, is the Spirit of God working powerful enough that people look how you act towards others, they can say, I see some Jesus in you. Oh, that's a good thing. A vibrant church has a whole group of people that are looking more and more like Jesus. But that only happens in a heart that's been strengthened by the Spirit of God. You know, when I, um, when I was a young believer, they, they would Certain people would tell me, you know, the Bible never talks about praying to be filled with the Spirit. And I look at this verse and I said, what is this? I mean, this, we are to pray for other people. Copy this prayer. Just pray for people to be strengthened with might in the inner man so that Christ dwells in the heart. That's a good biblical way to pray, isn't it? Is that the way you pray? This is, this is a good prayer to copy. Now there's something else that he sees here, and before time gets away, we'll just take a real quick look. Notice that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. That's throughout this whole passage, the depth of love. And then it says that you may be able to comprehend. To comprehend is to grasp you're filled with the Spirit so you can grasp and understand. I try to explain when I look at these dimensions, I compare it to me drawing a stick man. You know, I can draw a stick man. <laughs> I have a daughter that's an artist. She can do a lot more than that, but I can draw the stick man. 
one-dimensional. I can do it probably as good as anybody else. <laughs> but notice when it talks about the love of God. It's not one-dimensional, is it? Look at it. It says, as you look at it, rooted and grounded in love, but to know the width, the length, the depth, the height, the immenseness of God's love is like we as stickmen trying to understand the three-dimensional God. Can we do that with our own intellect? Paul is saying, I could not. So I am praying for these people in Ephesus that they might be strengthened in the inner man so that they can have Christ dwell in their hearts and that they could comprehend the depth of the love that God has for his children. That doesn't mean that life will be easy. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul as he went through life. I'm sure he had many times that were encouraging. I mean, people met him. They wept over his teaching. They wanted, oh, and they received him in the homes and all of that. He received a lot of that. But there's other things that he saw. I mean, he was jailed up, and then they sang, and then God sent an earthquake, and then God saved the Philippian jailer. He was beaten many times. He was shipwrecked. He shares all of that. He had people abandon him. And you may have a lot of things that are going on in your life that you can't understand. What Paul is praying, give them an inner man strong so that they understand their entire life is enveloped in the very love of God. Even if they, as a stick man, can't understand the depth of God, it is there. It's there. And Paul knew it. And he wanted so much for these believers to be strengthened in the inner man. That's what he was looking for, to be strengthened in the inner man. So as we go on and just as, as we sort of review the last thing, that these deep thoughts of Christ will result in a person being filled with God. And that's what we want, isn't it? And that's what Paul desired. And Paul strove for. He was praying out of his own experience. He longed for these people to be filled with the Spirit of God so they could live a life even through all the difficulties that they faced. They would still know the love of God in their lives even though things weren't going perfectly on the surface. That speaks of depth. That speaks of a person that can be solid no matter what is thrown at them. And that's what Paul wanted, and that's what God wanted. So my question to us, as I look at this, this is Paul's prayer. Are we praying? And if we are, 
Are we praying biblically? Can't you see how we could just copy this prayer? And God would make the love of God more real to us as the person that's praying to begin with. And believe me, we need that. But as we pray for other people, God will do that as well. And we might see Christ, as Paul says, I teach that Christ might be formed in you. That's what he desires, and that's what the Holy Spirit works for. If we had a lot of people like that, would we have a vibrant church? Yeah, we would. So can we have a vibrant church even in these last days? Yeah. If we learn how to pray faithfully the way God wants us to pray, I think there can be great things in store for our life. And I pray that for the Sailorville Church. I pray that for my new city church. I pray this for my kids. May we pray faithfully the way God wants us to pray. Let's just bow our heads together. Father, we thank you that you included this passage in the scriptures. That you allowed us actually to get a peek into the apostles' heart. And that heart is being led by the Spirit of God, even in this prayer. It's being led by the Spirit of God. These are truths you want us to know. Father, as we meditate on this passage, would you cause us to pray differently and to pray in the area of things that you want to do for us and those around us? And may we become more like Jesus every day. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.